Hello and welcome to Popper's Cage. Uh, this is a new podcast about playing the classic Popper format on MTGO. My name is Gabo and joining me is Dime Collectorar. Hey, how's it going everybody? We want this podcast uh, to be about exactly how to play certain competitive decks in, in classic Popper format. So we're going to be talking uh, how each deck is, is, uh, is made what its key elements are, the weaknesses, the, the strengths, and specifically how to play each matchup. Um, so first, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our background. So uh, what can you tell me about yourself, uh, Dime? Uh, I've actually been playing Magic for a little over, uh, a little under two years at this point, and I started out as a paper player. I played just standard and draft, pretty much. I didn't really venture into any of the eternal formats. And then I started to slowly get into MTGO, and I really loved MTGO as opposed to paper. I mean, I, I do enjoy both, but I have to say I, I enjoy MTGO much more and somehow just found the popper format, and I have not looked back since. I've just been getting more and more into the format uh, as I go. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I have a similar uh, uh, background in that, in that sense. I, I actually started uh, a while ago playing uh, Paper Magic. I started since 1997, I think. Uh, but I was just p- playing uh, quite casually. Uh, and I, I kept playing less and less uh, I mean, after I got married and then had a kid. You, know, you don't have a lot of time for these things. And then I thought, well, I'll try MTGO since that seems like uh, it, it fits my... Uh, time schedule, and um, uh, eventually I, I stumbled into the popper format and found that it was it was really fun and really deep and you know really cheap. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I'm surprised you've only been playing for two years because uh, you know you've, you've done pretty well for so little time. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what to attribute that to. I was actually really into StarCraft before, and that is also sort of a a game that involves a lot of tactical thinking, and, and it's almost a battle of wits and mechanical skill, whereas Magic is is very much uh, in the same vein, but definitely more of a methodical game. Uh, so maybe that helps a little bit. I don't know. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I saw your your some of your videos in, uh, in YouTube. They were pretty cool. Uh, for StarCraft, as well as your your Magic videos. We're going to have some listeners who uh, are maybe starting out, uh, trying out uh, Popper, trying out Magic Online. So why why would you say uh, Magic Online is... Uh, what, what are the advantages of Magic Online over Paper Magic? Um, I think you brought up a really good point uh, in terms of the fact that Magic Online caters to, to people's schedules very well because you can almost always find games. Uh, I mean, you can always find games, and there's plenty of events every day uh, at regular schedules and stuff like that, and it, it caters to all different formats online. And I think the experience is actually, for me, very rewarding because um, there's no distractions, you know, sometimes playing inside of a, a card shop, uh, with a lot of people watching you and um, just all that pressure. I, none of, I don't feel any of that when I play MTGO. It's very much myself and my own 
my own thoughts and I can focus completely on the game. Uh, I also think that a lot of people on MTGO are actually extremely friendly, which I, I didn't know if that would be the case or not. I, I played on Workstation previously and Workstation can be just a, a, the wild, wild west in terms of people <laughs> you run into. A, a troll hive? Yeah, exactly. Um, but with MTGO, you know, uh, I, I would play people and I'd be interested in what kind of deck that they were ending up playing. So after the matches, I would send people messages and stuff. And almost the vast majority of people have been very social, very, um, very friendly. And I think that's a huge benefit. You also have access to, you know, a vast variety of cards online that you can trade for just, you know, at, at the push of a button, literally. Yeah. I think that's another huge benefit as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a huge thing for me, just the, the accessibility of cards. And, and they're so cheap, uh, well, especially yeah. popper, but just in general. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I did notice that some of the popper staple cards have been starting to rise in price lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's rated arrows. It's, uh, oh, yeah. $8, something like that. <laughs> So uh, now the popper format. Um, so it's it's obviously cheaper because it's it's made up of of just commons. Um, but how do you feel the 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 type of 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 games uh, differ from uh, say something like standard or, or block or even legacy? Because the the games are very different, right? Well, in in many senses. Yeah, I think. I think they definitely are because with Popper in particular, um, because as you said, the card pool is, is limited to just commons. There's several types of spells and effects that really aren't available, at least uh, at, at the power level that you find in uncommon and rare and mythic rare. And I think for a player like me, one of the things that stands out is that um, board sweepers in particular, uh, like wrath effects are very, um, I guess you could say situational and pauper because you don't have a, a clear cut destroy all creatures. You don't have a day of judgment or wrath of God effect. And I think that really uh, affects the format a lot more than people might actually uh, consider at first. And, and there's all kinds of effects like that, that uh, just, you just don't find in pauper, but at the same time, it, it prompts people to find other creative avenues to try and recreate that same sort of effect only, uh, using comments. So I think that's one of the, the big differences. Yeah. Um, I also noticed that, uh, and I guess it's ex to, to be expected, uh, the majority of the decks, uh, at least, well, not, not, not the t t tier one decks, uh, but many of the decks are aggro, aggro decks, because that's what you find at the common level, right? And then you have these really powerful tier one decks that manage to grab all the all the control cards and, and these crazy combos that just beat a lot of the aggro decks. Would you say that's the case? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to, to be that general about it, but um, you do bring up a really good point that um, a lot of these decks are very proactive and people would be surprised to find that uh, many of these decks have very fast either clocks or they can goldfish extremely quickly. And as you mentioned, um, this format has aggro, but it, it also has uh, plenty of combo, surprisingly, at the common level. And I, I think control is is possibly the least represented 
um, archetype simply because the, the, the primary control deck there is, which is cloud post is, is, has such an advantage over the other control decks when it, when, in terms of them going one-on-one against each other. Um, but yeah, people might be surprised to see, to know how fast some of these games actually end up uh, playing out. Okay. Um, I was thinking we could, uh, perhaps just briefly describe some of the, uh, some of the tier one decks that exist out there just so that, uh, listeners can get an idea of what the, the meta game is like. So for example, cloud post, so the one you mentioned. So like, what, what is that one based on? So cloud post is, uh, based on the card cloud post, which is sort of a mana engine. Uh, that uses the synergy between playing four cloud posts, which is a locust land, and four glimmer posts, which which are all also a locust land. And it basically, it's a very interactive deck that you know, like most control decks, uh, wants to be drawing cards, uh, playing removal, playing counter magic. But at the same time, cloud posts is so powerful because it has this inevitability uh, of an incredibly powerful late game where they can have access or, you know, make use of all this big mana to cast spells like Capsize, which is a um, an instant for one and two blue that uh, returns target permanent to its controller's hand, but it has a buyback cost of three colorless, which basically means that if they, they pay that buyback cost, um, they get to return the card Capsize to their hand and they can cast it again and again and again. And, and that is just so powerful and so backbreaking. Um, they use other big spells like X spells uh, to to make use of this mana, and it just gives them such a, a powerful late game. And, and they have a lot of great tools at their disposal. Yeah, yeah. So they're so early game. They're just countering your spells, destroying your creatures, and then if you don't do anything, they're drawing cards. And then late game, they just finish you off. Yeah, very yeah, eventually. I mean, I, I will say that Cloud Post is hands down the slowest deck in the format in terms of being able to actually win a game. Yeah. But uh, when it gets to that point, uh, for the other player, it's pretty miserable because it's sort of like you know you're going to die, but uh, you ju- you're just waiting for the inevitable at that point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So another big uh, another big deck uh, in in the metagame is Storm. So just just um, so how does that one work? Uh, well, there's there's a couple different storm decks. The most popular ones are variations of uh, Empty the Warrens, which is a sorcery that I believe puts two one one red goblins into play. But with the mechanic storm, what ends up happening is that uh, the more spells you cast in a single turn, uh, once you cast this 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 card with storm, it actually copies for each other spell that was cast before it. So the idea with most storm decks, and I'll just stick to the empty the Warrens ones for now, is that they, they play very few lands and a lot of what are called rituals, which are spells that add mana to their pool, or sometimes they cycle, which means you know the, they draw a card yeah. and replace themselves. So they basically set up one big turn where they play a bunch of spells in succession, and they top it off with this big storm spell. And uh, in the case of Empty the Warrens, it just puts a massive army onto the battlefield. And then they use a card uh, called Goblin Bushwhacker a lot of the times, which is a creature that if you pay its kicker cost, gives 
all creatures you control plus one plus zero in haste until end of turn. So then they just swing at you with this this overwhelming ball of uh, angry goblins. Yeah. Yeah, Storm is, is really fast. They can go off, uh, like, on a first or second turn uh, sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how about this? Uh, so uh, well, Storm is is one of the many one, one of of a few hated decks. I think the other would be Infect. Uh, that mm. one's really fast as well. So uh, how does that one work? So Infect is it's could be considered a combo deck, I think, uh, but it takes sort of a, a aggressive creature beatdown approach. And it basically is playing creatures with the ability Infect, which deals damage to creatures in the form of uh, minus one, minus one counters, and to players in the form of poison counters. And one of the ways to win a game of Magic is to give your opponent ten poison counters. So their idea is to stick one of these Infect creatures and then play a bunch of pump spells to make its power and sometimes its toughness really big on one turn and then just hit you with that. And if they can, if they can nail you for 10 poison or more, then they just win right on the spot. So uh, similar to storm, as you said, um, these decks can win second turn even, or, you know, uh, not there. The games don't end up being too long when you're playing infect. So, yeah. Okay. So cloud post would be considered a control and then storm and infect are generally considered combo. So I, I think, most of the other decks are considered uh, kind of aggro. One deck that stands out that has variations that are both aggro and control is the Blue Delver deck. Can you talk a little bit about this deck? Sure, yeah. Um, the the Mono Blue decks, kind of uh, they kind of fork off into a couple different variations, and I think the one that's most aggressive is, is the Mono Blue Fairies-type build. And I think that one could be considered uh, an aggro control or like some people would call it a fish deck, yeah. which it has a, a, a good plan of applying early pressure um, with small creatures. And then it's able to sort of make tempo plays by playing bounce spells or counter spells. And it's called fairies, obviously, because it's playing um, some creatures with the creature type fairies, uh, most notably cloud of fairies. Uh, which is a 1-1 flying creature for one and a blue that untaps two lands when it enters the battlefield. And then it also plays Spell Stutter Sprite, which is also a 1-1 flyer for one and a colorless, but it has Flash, so you can cast it at instant speed. And then when that enters the battlefield, it counters target spell uh, with a converted mana cost equal to or less than the number of fairies in play. So it has a great synergy with Cloud of Fairies. And... Um, it's it's a deck that can pressure you, and then it can also control a lot of what you're doing at the same time. So it kind of fits in between those two. And the other mono blue deck, I I just call it mono blue Delver. Some people call it mono blue Control. It's it's a lot lighter on creatures. It is playing Delver of Secrets, um, as is the Fairies deck, but it's it's playing a lot more counter spells and card draw as opposed to trying to um, attack with creatures in the early turn. So it, it it's a slower deck and a more controlling one. Okay. Well, thanks very much for those descriptions. I think we can discuss some of the other decks in the metagame while we talk about how White Winnie matches up against them.
So let's uh, let's go into the the meat of this episode and talk about white weenie. Do you want to talk to me about the composition of this deck and uh, how does it work? Sure. Uh, well, the composition of white weenie uh, kind of relies on the idea that uh, the deck is going to win by playing out continuous threats and attacking the opponent's life total with creatures. So the, uh, the, the composition of the deck is typically um, a relatively low land count, uh, at least in my opinion, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I would say between 20 and 22 lands. Um, and then it's typically a, a very dense creature count, and the, the rest of the slots are kind of relegated to um, equipment and some cheap removal and sometimes reactive spells um, like prismatic strands, which we'll probably talk about in in a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so what would you say are the weaknesses and strengths of of this deck? Um, the strengths of the deck are that the mana base is super consistent because you're just playing white sources. Um, typically, basic planes is the vast majority of your your land count, so it, it makes your deck very um, consistent and. You're, you're a little bit faster than some of the multicolored decks or the, the decks with slower starts. And that can't be underestimated. That is definitely an advantage in, in a lot of scenarios. It also has uh, very efficient creatures. A lot of these creatures um, are either evasive, so they're hard to block. Some of them are very hard to kill because they have protection or um, they, they give some sort of advantage some sort of inherent card advantage. Um, a lot of the creatures are very synergistic with, with some of the other interactions in the deck. Um, the deck is also proactive, and I think that's a huge uh, strength, in my opinion, uh, which what, what I mean by that is that you are typically going to be putting the pressure on your opponent, and you know exactly what your deck wants to do. And if you're playing against something like a control deck or a combo deck, they need to find the right cards in order to uh, win the game. But your deck is tailor-made to be putting on pressure. So if they slip up, if they have uh, mana issues, if they have problems finding answers, then you're almost certainly going to win the game. The, the deck also can develop a very strong board position uh, by having you know a dense variety of threats. You have flyers in the air and, and a lot of big guys on the ground. So it, it, the board positions can typically overwhelm most other decks. And one of the other probably strongest uh, strengths of White Weenie is that its sideboard options are just so effective against a lot of the decks in the format. Um, as far as weaknesses, White Weenie as an aggressive deck is a little bit lacking in the reach department. So uh, as opposed to some red aggro decks that have burn spells and stuff, if, if the opponent's able to stabilize the board and stall stall the board and neutralize the creature threats, it's really not a lot of uh, options for the white weenie player to continue to get in those last few points of damage from there. They're kind of just sitting ducks at that point. Uh, white weenie is also kind of a fair deck, if that makes sense. Like uh, in, in Popper, as we were talking about with the combo decks and stuff, they're, they're doing some stuff that's pretty broken. If you just think about the fundamental uh, the rules of magic and stuff, yeah. there's nothing too degenerate about White Weenie, uh, in my opinion. So that could be considered a weakness. 
uh, when you pair it up against decks that are doing stuff like that. Um, aside from that, I think that the deck is fairly um, robust and fairly capable of of holding its own weight. So there are pros and cons to the deck, and I think one of the most important things is that people should play a deck that caters to their style. And for me, at least, I think White Weedy is definitely a, a good choice. Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of my favorites. It's it's actually the first deck I started playing uh, Popper with. Uh, it's also uh, relatively cheap <laughs> compared to other decks. Or it used to be. So um, in, in MTGO, uh, there are daily events. There are multiple uh, Popper Classic events uh, called dailies. And Wizards of the Coast publishes the, the deck lists on their website. Uh, you, could, you can have a look at these uh, decks. We, we'll have a link to, to the website uh, and the show notes. And one of the most notable players is uh, called Andre S., uh, and we we uh, sent him some questions uh, to get uh, some you know to pick his brain about how how this works. Uh, so you want to uh, read out uh, uh, the questions and answers? Yeah, definitely. And I just want to say uh, in advance, just a big thank you to Andreas for taking time out to answer the questions for us. It's, it's really uh, exciting for me to get some insight from such a seasoned uh, popper veteran if you will yeah so this is great yeah. stuff thanks 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 a lot cool so uh, the first question i asked him was basically um, what is the secret to your consistency and why do you think there aren't more people playing white weenie with your level of success so a uh, white weenie is not the most popular archetype, and so that kind of motivated this question. And he said that uh, the secret of his consistency is that if you play a deck, uh, just one deck, over the course of a lot of events, you'll know all the strengths and weaknesses of your deck and your opponent's decks as well. And you also learn how to uh, swing the matchups in your favor. He says that uh, you'll know what cards are bad for you, uh, those cards you don't want to see from your opponent, and you'll learn how to use your sideboard more effectively. The second half of the question, he said that he thinks uh, a lot of people don't play White Weenie because it has what he calls some dead matchups, and he lists them as being Blue-Red Cloud Post, Blue-Black Cloud Post, Familiar Storm, which is a combo deck that uses um, Sunscape and Nightscape Familiar, and then it uses Temporal Fisher yeah. as its sort of... Uh, Win condition, yeah. I guess it, we could say. It makes all the all the blue spells really cheap, and then just plays a lot of yeah. spells and and returns all all your permanents to your hand, and then just kills you off. Exactly. So those are the decks that he listed as being uh, very poor matchups, and he also mentioned that because blue red post is so popular now, that might be one of the reasons that there isn't as much white weenie as maybe you or I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly how I feel, that, that it's really, really difficult to beat Cloud Post with White Weenie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my second question was, um, why do you choose to play White Weenie and Popper? Do you think other people should play the deck? Why or why not? And to that, he responded that uh, White Weenie was his first Popper deck. He also has played uh, Mono Red Burn, Goblins, Grixis Storm, and Familiar Storm, but uh, he understood that 
know, he came to the understanding that he didn't really like decks with blue in them. <laughs> he just doesn't feel like he can play uh, blue decks. And he didn't like combo decks because a lot of games he felt were dependent on luck or draws. Um, he likes goblins a lot, but he feels like the matchup against White Weenie for goblins is just awful. So he chose White Weenie, which is a deck that he feels is effective against pretty much the whole field, except for the decks that he mentioned earlier. And um, he doesn't really know if other people should play it, but he says that sometimes he feels White Weenie can definitely struggle in, in a given metagame. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so what, what's what's the next question? So uh, I said, I told him that, because his deck lists are often often duplicated online, I wanted to know how he came up with the deck list itself and what does he think is the most powerful thing about it. And to that, he replied that when he started Popper, he actually took his deck list, his original one, uh, from a player called Deluxe Eikhoff. And this guy's a pretty prominent Popper player still to this day. He doesn't play White Weenie anymore, but um, basically he, he mentioned that he got the, the, the deck list off of the Wizards uh, website, and that's what he started with. You know, he, he started removing cards and adding some cards, but uh, the, the deck list he has now is almost, it's over 50%, there's a, over 50% of the deck is different from when he started. Yeah. Uh, and, and he feels like the most powerful things in his deck, you know, the most powerful thing about his deck is that he's got cards that have protection from red, like Crimson Acolyte. Um, also, uh, you know, cards that have protection from all uh, monocolored, which is uh, Guardian of the Guild Pact, but even Benevolent Bodyguard can pro- provide protection from several colors. Um, also, Mass Removal in the form of Holy Light, Card Advantage in the form of Squadron Hawks, and he likes the card Prismatic Strands a lot as well. He also thinks the, car- the deck has very strong removal and good source of life gain in the card Suture Priest. Yep. I mean, he, he just likes all the tools that, that White Weenie really has available. Yeah, I definitely like his version of the deck uh, uh, the best. Uh, that's the one I started playing with. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been testing his list out, and I like it quite a bit uh, as well. So um, I also asked him, what is the best way to beat decks like Cloud Boast and Storm Combo decks? And this is something that you and I, I think, yeah. we're both really well, interested. Well, what's this? What's the secret? What's the secret? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, especially coming from this guy, who's we have to imagine has just gone up against these decks hundreds and hundreds of times at this point. So um, it's really cool that we got to actually ask this. Yeah. Uh, so so he said that versus cloud posts, we can't really do anything if they're develop if they develop their board and their mana super well. There's just not really a lot we can do. He says that even Guardian the Guild Packs can't really save us, but the only chance is, in his opinion, to try and either A, kill them in the early game, or <laughs> he has a, he has an alternative win condition, which he says that if your opponent is playing slowly, um, you can also win by running them out of time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, he says, he says, I never concede in the first game. Even if on, on the, the way the battlefield looks, the opponent has the to- complete advantage. Uh, if, if his opponent wastes time to kill him and he's able to come back and win game two, he feels like he has a really good chance to run them out of time in game three. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. That, that, that's an interesting technical weakness of the deck. 
Absolutely. That's one of the, the main reasons I personally don't play Cloud Post very often. It's just, it's just the matches take so much time and energy to get through. <laughs> it can get a little boring. <laughs> oh, well. yeah. 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 Um, and it's taxing on, you know, all the the different decision trees you can make with that deck. It it, it's, it really takes a lot of patience and focus to, to make that deck work optimally, I think. Yeah. And it, so he says versus Storm Combo decks, he feels like the matches really depend on luck. He says uh, if you're able to play Sutra Priest, uh, and we should probably just quickly uh, explain what Sutra Priest is. Yeah. It's a 1-1 uh, one, one creature for one colorless and white, and it has two abilities. The first is that whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain one life. The second ability is that whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, you may have them lose one life. And this is really important against those Empty the Warrens decks we talked about a little earlier because it forces them to lose like a billion life <laughs> yeah. if they end up playing Empty the Warrens. Uh, so it's very effective. So he says if you can play that out first against them, uh, you'll often win the game. He also really likes the card Prismatic Strands, and that's a uh, that's an instant for two colorless and one white, and it allows you to prevent all damage dealt by a uh, color of your choice for that turn. And it has a flashback cost of tapping an untapped white creature you control. So it's basically a spell you can cast twice to save your butt against yeah. <laughs> some of these storm decks. Um, he also likes to make the play that uh, if he has Squadron Hawk and Prismatic Strands in hand, mm-hmm. um, he'll play Squadron Hawk on turn two. And that's a 1-1 one, one flyer for one, in a, one colorless and a white that actually allows you to search up three other cards called Squadron Hawk and put them into your hand. So so he'll play Squadron Hawk, and he'll search up the other three, and then he'll just discard Prismatic Strands because he has eight cards in hand at that point. Oh, yeah. And it's in his graveyard, so he can cast it for the flashback cost. Um, That's a good trick, then, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool, actually. Um, I, I was just so going to mention that uh, something that often happens to me is that I have Prismatic Strands in my hand, and they go off on turn two, and I, yeah. I don't have time to, to play it. Yeah. Well, that, that's one thing he says, is that um, sometimes he just dies on their turn one, and there's nothing yeah. he can do. So um, there there's only so much you really can do against them, and, and those are the tips that he has for those matchups. So I thought those were pretty neat. Yeah, awesome. So I asked him two more questions. Um, the This question I asked was that... Um, do you think White Weenie is always the right choice for a daily event, or does it depend on what is happening in the metagame at the time? And he says that he thinks it's certainly better in a metagame where there's a lot of Goblins decks, because he really likes that matchup. Um, but he personally always plays White Weenie. Um, and he, he, he thinks it's it's very sad for him if in the first two rounds of a daily event, let's say, he... he faces back-to-back blue-red post decks and just gets eliminated right away. <laughs> he really doesn't like that. Um, but he says that if if he has a feeling there's going to be a lot of post decks, um, it might be better to play other another aggro deck, so, something like Goblins or maybe even Mono Blue Fairies. Those are some options that he says uh, would be better in a very post-heavy metagame. But him personally, he always plays White Weenie regardless. It, it, it'll be interesting... Uh later on in future episodes to analyze uh, just how 
how good is the matchup for goblins versus cloudpost? Because goblins are really fast, right? Right. Yeah, goblins is sort of the premier aggro deck, I, I would say, in Popper. And so that would be great to really analyze the, the premier control deck versus the premier aggro deck. Yeah. It seems just like we have to do that at some point yeah. for sure. So the last question I asked him was, um, what do you think are the best popper decks? What advice can you give to other players playing White Weenie? And I really like this, his response to this. And um, He actually thinks the best deck in popper is Mono Blue Fairies. Um, he, he, th- he thinks that it doesn't really have dead matchups, and it has um, some game versus pretty much every deck. He says even versus a very fast Goblins deck, it's got the pro-red fairies in its sideboard. So it, it has a lot of options against the field. Uh, but his advice to other white weenie players is that uh, you need to believe in the deck. <laughs> Be sure to take pleasure in playing it. Make sure you enjoy playing white weenie. And he says your deck will answer you. You're going to be able to top deck uh, the, you, the absolute best card in those critical moments if you just believe in it and make sure you're having fun and your deck will actually uh, it will answer you in times of need. So <laughs> that's his advice for all white weenie players. So you guys take that to heart. You know, uh, I, I'm going to have to take that advice because I, I lost my – I'm going to have to admit it. I lost my faith uh, some time <laughs> ago. I played a couple of dailies and I got I got matched up against Cloudpost, Storm, mm-hmm. and Infect. And, oh. and even though I had the right sideboards, uh, at least for Storm and Infect, I, they would duress the, whatever I had. <laughs> you know, uh, Infect would get rid of my standard bearers. Uh, it, it always mm-hmm. happened. But I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have faith, man. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's the key right there. Yeah. And I, I agree with him that uh, uh, the, the blue fairies, it feels like it. Yeah, it feels like it, it can handle anything with a, with a good hand. Uh, I also think Mono Black Control is pretty good against most decks. Uh, but we'll, 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 we'll analyze those in the future. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. So um, uh, anything else from, uh, from Andre? Uh, that was pretty much it. He did provide a link to the original deck list um, by Deluxe Ikoff that he started with. Um, I don't know if we want to put that on the show notes or not, but it would be kind of interesting for people just to see how different his deck is now from when he started. Uh, yeah, let, let's, let's put it on the show notes and, and we can, well, the listeners can compare. Yeah, definitely. Let's look at some specific matchups. Um, so I guess we already, uh, talked about, uh, versus cloud post. Do you have any, any, uh, suggestions from your own experience uh, about facing cloud post? Cloudpost is a pretty dynamic matchup, in my opinion. I think that for a white weenie player, there's several different fundamentals you can learn just playing against control, control decks in general, uh, specifically ones that play counter spells. And uh, it, it's a, a lot of it is an experience thing, I think, and finding what works for you in terms of how you can pressure them enough to, to kind of get them to break. Um, personally, I I, um, I find the matchup to be slightly unfavorable. I don't think it's as dismal as a lot of people do, but sometimes I do uh, run into those bouts of just constantly losing and losing badly. I mean, not just not even close yeah. against them. 
Uh, I think the best advice is to to find somebody if you can that, to test out the matchup with. And I've actually done that on my YouTube page a little bit, and maybe that will give some people some insight to watch some of those games. Uh, hopefully that'll help out a little bit. Um, but I think it comes down to a few things. You you definitely want to be able to resolve some of your key spells against them, and you really don't want them to resolve that capsized lock. That is a huge deal in the matchup because it actually allows them to continuously either gain life uh, with glimmer posts, which uh, gains one life for each locus on the the battlefield, or it allows them to to bounce. Uh, either your stuff or some of their stuff for more utility. They can draw cards off of several, several of their permanents. It's, it's just really, it's, it becomes, it starts to go south at that point, I think is one of the big things. They also have a card called rolling thunder, which is one of their X spells that is very powerful against us. Um, so it, it just really comes down to some crucial uh, turns of the game. And I think it's about finding where that, crucial turn is for you in terms of being able to resolve the right spells against them and, and hoping to get there at that point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was thinking that once, once they get to enough mana that they can, uh, um, cast, uh, capsize, uh, once or even twice in, in, in a turn, uh, you've basically lost, lost the game there unless you're almost about to beat them and, and, you know, you're just trying to get through those last points of damage. Uh, but uh, as as Andre said, you know, maybe you can time them out. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I guess it's not worth giving up yet because if they're just capsizing you, uh, it's going to take a while. They, they have to draw the Rolling Thunder or their, um, what's the Eldrazi uh, Olamog's uh, Crusher. Uh, yeah, so that's a huge right. creature. It attacks you. It makes you sacrifice a couple of permanents. Uh, so once that, that guy's, and you, you, your, um, some of your, your removal spells don't even work well because, uh, one of your removal spells is Journey to Nowhere, which, which is just a, a, an enchantment that removes them from the game as long as the enchantment is there. Then they capsize that and they get their, their crusher back. So you're in trouble yeah. even then. Um, so I often feel that, that it's, it's key to, to get that Guardian of the Guild pack or um mm. or just get get some flyers get in there with the with the bone splitter you know giving your creatures plus 2 plus 0 uh you, you got to do that somehow get the damage in there that's that's the key i would say absolutely i agree with you 100% on that those are all very key to uh winning the matchup yeah okay so um what about storm any anything you have to add from what andre said about storm uh, for me, I think the most important thing against Storm is keeping uh, or figuring out how you can do the most damage in the least amount of time. So a card like Bone Splitter is very good at, at helping you with that. And so for me, I mulligan pretty aggressively, not not just to get Bone Splitter, but to get some of the sideboard answers uh, in, in my opening hand. And I think those are, are very helpful. Uh, aside from that, it's it's mostly on them, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's mostly about are they going to mess up <laughs> their, their their big turn, or are they not going to be able to to go off in time to save themselves? Um, but you know, as a white weenie player, we have to do everything we can to try and win, and that's pretty much all I can say. 
the the, the damage is is important as you mentioned because a lot of their their draw spells uh, actually deal damage to them. So you limit how many times they can uh, cast those spells uh, and and basically limit their their own strategy. Uh, but yeah, first the game one is usually very very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. Game two, you can get your your sideboard to neutralize their combo, and then once you neutralize their combo, it's game. It's basically game. They can't do anything else. They're like yeah, uh, uh, like like an animal on its back or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing is that the storm decks do start to board in some consistent uh, some contingencies for our plan. So it's it's a bit of a not so much a cat and mouse game, but it's a matter of do they have the answer for our answer or not, which yeah. can kind of determine the fate of the game as well. Yeah. I, I guess the, the advantage you as as a white weenie player have there is that their own combo becomes less consistent because they have to board in these answers for your disruption. So that still gives you at least more of a chance to make them fizzle. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, um, so... Um, I guess let's talk about uh, some other interesting matchups. Um, well, we mentioned uh, uh, Blue Delver. Uh, it uh, never has a bad matchup. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you, well, you already talked about getting past uh, getting past those counter spells. Is there anything else that you would say uh, is 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 key in this particular matchup? Um, well, I actually really like the uh, fairies matchup a lot of the time because unlike Cloudpost, uh, we have a lot of threats that are pretty bad for the fairies player to end up facing. So, uh, for instance, you know, Cloudpost, if we resolve a creature, a lot of the times they can just burn it out of the way and not have to worry about it. But with fairies, uh, if we resolve a creature it can be a lot more problematic for them. And starting with uh, a very popular one-drop in White Weenie, which is the Icacian Javelineers, and that's a 1-1 that has a a javelin counter on it that you can can tap the Javelineers to deal one damage uh, by removing that counter to target creature or player. And, you know, a lot of the fairies are 1-1s. So this is a card that's very crucial in taking out a spell stutter sprite when they're trying to counter something, or it can even target their phantasmal bear, which is a 2-2 that is uh, put into the graveyard when it becomes a target of a spell or ability. So even on turn one, uh, in playing that javelinier, it threatens their unflipped delver of secrets, which is another one drop in their deck that starts out as a 1-1. So uh, it's, it's a very versatile card uh, in terms of being able to gun down whatever it is you want to gun down at that point in time. I think another really crucial uh, creature is the Core Skyfisher, which is a 2-3 flyer that returns um, a permanent you control to your hand when it enters the battlefield. So the the significant thing about the Core Skyfisher is the 2-3 body. Yeah. It's able to block almost everything in their deck, including those fairies, the Phantasmal Bear, and the Ninja of the Deep Hours, which is another 2-2 creature that they play. Uh, and it can also rebuy our Javelineers, by bouncing it back to our hand, and we can replay the javelineers. So it's it's a pretty powerful two for one that we use against them. And and uh, I do like the matchup, but uh, the thing is, their best uh, draws, their best openers, which include them sort of having like a turn one delver of secrets, and then maybe like turn two it just flips yeah. <laughs> with like no manipulation, and then they play something like cloud of fairies, which untaps their lands. And 
say let's say they have that on the play and then they have some way of countering our next play you know that's that can really generate a lot of tempo for them and that's really hard to beat but i think anything barring those kind of uh, really powerful starts uh, we have a really good chance of taking them out yeah, yeah i agree um, so how about um, versus goblins uh, you were saying goblins is a pretty good well at, you were saying andre was saying that goblins is a pretty good matchup um, I agree. I agree. Uh, especially, <laughs> especially with the, with the cyborg, white has so much stuff against red that oh, they yeah. just can't deal with. Um, and even without cyborg, I sometimes feel it's a, it's a good matchup. I agree with you. Um, I, I agree with Andreas as well, that, that it is a good matchup. And I think, uh, it's pretty much a consensus, the consensus that white weenie has, an advantage over mono red goblins. And, and I think what you're saying as far as the sideboard is definitely correct. And I think it has a lot to do with color pie because white and red are naturally uh, enemies of each other. So white typically gets a lot of spells that kind of hose what red wants to do and, and vice versa to an extent, but definitely not to the extent that white weenie has and red by virtue of its color pie, it's missing a lot of, access to certain effects like for instance red can ever do can never deal with enchantments so something like journey to nowhere or circle of protection red which is um probably a bit of an outdated uh sideboard option but it's it's an enchantment that allows you to pay one mana to prevent the next uh the next damage by a red source for the turn so it's literally a circle of protection against uh, what they have uh, stuff like that, they actually can't deal with at all. Um, but I think what makes the uh, matchup so good starts with, uh, we'll just start with game one, for instance. A lot of our creatures are just going to outclass them. Similar to with fairies, uh, we got a lot of guys that have three toughness or or higher, even when you talk about Razor Golem. And, and all of their guys are one ones and two twos. That's pretty much it. Like um, sometimes they'll play a three three in the form of uh, I forget the name. Mob flunkies. Yeah. yeah, and that's not even in all the lists. Um, but you know their guys are just smaller than ours, and our guys can fly over them. Uh, we have Guardian of the Guild Pack that can never be killed by them, um, and that's just game one. We've got removal. Um, they have an advantage of having the burn spells, which can take out a lot of our guys, but can also kind of kill us yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere. And they also have Goblin Bushwhacker, uh, who we okay. talked about, we're talking about Empty the Warrens. Goblins, in a similar way, develops this huge board, and then they use the Goblin Bushwhacker to deal a ton of damage just in, you know, one swing. And, and that can be really good for them. But, you know, as you mentioned, after sideboarding, um, White Weenie can bring in cards like Crimson Acolyte, which is a 1-1 that has protection from red and also has an activated ability where you pay uh, just one white to give any creature you control protection from red as well. So we have access to a guy that can profitably block any of their creatures without dying, and it can also protect all of our guys from their creatures, from their removal. And that card in and of itself is extremely powerful against them. Uh, we've also got a card like Holy Light, which um, gives all non-white creatures minus one, minus one until end of turn. And that can be fairly effective. It, it's a bit situational against goblins, but sometimes it, it can blow them out. Uh, we already talked about Prismatic Strands, which can be strong. Uh, just, a, just a lot of stuff that, 
that we have. And then that's not even including life gain, which can always be a big problem for an aggressive deck like Goblins. Yeah, I, I actually think life gain is 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 key. Uh, in this matchup, because their their strength is their speed, right? They get all these little goblins at first, and they start attacking you, and they can finish you off before you can uh, stabilize the board with your mm-hmm. bigger and better threats. Um, so yeah, life gain from um, what's his name, the the one you mentioned, uh, the priest, suture priest. priest. Yeah. That that can help a lot. And there there's another guy who used to be used a lot more and. and Kind of got got substituted by the suture priest. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a two one that would gain you four life when he came into play. Yeah, that's the lone missionary. Yeah, the lone missionary. That's the guy. I think he's actually better in this matchup than the suture priest, but because the suture priest is so good against storm, it's just a better mm. uh, just a better option for the meta game. And I wanted to mention. Um, I actually think that. Uh, so the, the, the Circle of Protection, or the Rune of Protection, uh, they're, they're pretty strong against this deck, but what they have against that card is their speed. Uh, because they can overwhelm you with lots of goblins, you'd need to be keeping back the mana to, to stop them, and, uh, and you'd have to stop developing your board. So it, it only really works a little bit more late game once you've already you know, gathered some mana and... and Kind of reduced their army, uh, so I think uh, the the Crimson Acolyte is is actually the better uh, the better choice there. And one more thing, they have a sideboard card that neutralizes uh, your protection. Um, I can't remember the name, but it's basically damage can't be prevented until end of turn. Yeah, that one's called Flaring Pain. That's the one. Yeah, and it's got flashback as well. For I think you yeah. sacrifice a mountain. Um, but that, that one works pretty well against, um, uh, white weenie sideboard. So you have to be careful, uh, against that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, definitely a way to neutralize Crimson Acolyte, but it's also slightly narrow because, uh, they need to leave up the mana to cast it because it's an instant. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you can get a read that, that they have it in hand because they'll make an attack into your Crimson Acolyte. And they're they're hoping for you to block, and then at that point they'll cast the flaring pain, and that prevents uh, well it prevents damage from being prevented. Yeah. So uh, that's how they kind of get rid of your acolyte. So it is it is uh, one of their options, but it is also kind of narrow. And if you play the matchup enough, I think you'll be able to kind of see when they're trying to make that play. Um, and you'll I've seen other uh, goblins lists playing other cards to try and deal with. Uh, Crimson Acolyte, and most of them are like artifacts and stuff, because artifacts are obviously colorless. Mm-hmm. So that, that's another thing that they might be bringing in against you as the White Weenie player. Okay. All right, so um, we also mentioned Infect, and I believe we, we did mention Standard Bearer uh, against Infect as uh, the, the card that just forces everything to target Standard Bearers or all their, um, all their pump spells are redirected to the standard bearer instead of to their own uh, creatures. And then they bring in, against the standard bearer, the Hornet's thing, which can deal uh, one damage. Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, talk about uh, for this matchup? Uh, well, this matchup is is pretty interesting, just because I think the uh, Infect deck, in all of its matchups, it's kind of forced 
to try and win quickly, no matter who it's playing against. And with White Weenie, we have to keep that in mind because that means each turn there is that potential danger of them just casting two or three pump spells on their guy and just killing us. Um, And so it puts us in a weird situation where a lot of the times we want to block because they'll they'll put Rancor or something on a guy, which is basically an enchantment that gives their creature trample and plus two plus zero. And um, we have to try and stop a lot of that trample damage from, from coming over. So uh, this matchup, I'm not the best authority on, but I do feel like um, it, it's a mix. It's sort of similar to goblins where it's a mix of knowing um, when you can attack versus when you should leave your guys back. And it's sort of, you have to feel out how the, the flow of the game is going. And in some turns, you're going to get the opportunity to attack into them. And sometimes you're not going to. Uh, some of the other key cards, I think, are, if you can get that far, is uh, Casting Guardian and the Guild Pact. Because most of their creatures are green. They play um, one artifact creature, which is Ickerclaw Mirror, which is basically a 1-1 Infect. And when it, block, it gets blocked, it gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. Uh, but the Guardian can block all of their guys and not die, which is really important. Yeah. And then Holy Light can be pretty good uh, sometimes. Your removal is usually fine, but they have a card called Vines of Vastwood, which is an instant that basically says, uh, you can't target my guy this turn. And that can really be annoying as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised uh, more people don't play the White Fog which uh, okay, it's holy day. Uh, holy day, yeah, that's the one. Because um, in green, it works pretty well against, well, against uh, infect. In that you you make them you make them commit their you block their guy, and then they use uh, use some pump spell, maybe two, thinking they're gonna get you, and then you just uh, c- cancel out uh, the damage. I mean, I know um, uh, prismatic strands is obviously better, uh, but it costs three. So they can they can kill you in the first two turns, <laughs> and that's the problem. Right. Yeah, you know, I think maybe the reason that we don't see Holy Day is just that... Um, it's too narrow? It's It might be too narrow and too specific to this matchup, whereas some of the other cards you can bring in for multiples. I, that would be my guess. But, you know, if the, the metagame becomes heavy infects, I don't see anything wrong with uh, trying out a card like Holy Day. Yeah, it should also work against goblins, I guess, and yeah, just goblins, goblins, and and in fact, yeah. And uh, I, I once saw uh, Andre yes, Andre, uh, d- uh, in a match against uh, Infect, and I noticed mm-hmm. how he he just blocked with all his creatures every single time. <laughs> so I'm guessing that's a good strategy, like. That to me says that he's really confident in his late later game being superior to the other guy. So he, it sounds like he just wants to be able to survive long enough to cast some of his bigger spells or, or to cast more creatures out, and then he feels like he can take the game over from there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to be able to kind of read what they have because they have mm-hmm. an instant that can give their creatures trample, right? And they have an instant that can give give their creatures um hex proof basically or mm-hmm. you know they make it make you not be able to target them with your removal um, right and you have to know you know more or less what they're going to do if you're going to block with a bunch of creatures or with just one because you do you think they don't have the trample 
uh, is that it's it's really hard to to read, you know, to to choose the right the right blocks there. Yeah, I agree with you, and it probably comes down to a lot of experience and a lot of heartbreaking turn two losses to that deck <laughs> to to really get a feel for it. Okay, um, I want to talk about a couple more more. Uh, more match more matchups and then we can discuss the mirror. Uh basically affinity and mono black control. So affinity, I think versus affinity we have a good matchup. Would you say that? Um at this point in time I would say that we do have a good matchup. Um uh, I do feel the game one can be a little bit difficult because they play a lot of four four creatures and those are much bigger than what we've got in our deck and they also have uh, quite a bit more end game in terms of finishers you know such as a card like Atog which is a uh, pretty much a linchpin of their deck it's a one two creature that uh, allows it has an activated ability of sacrificing an artifact to give it plus two plus two until end of turn. And since their deck is playing almost all artifacts, that creature gets so enormous. Every time it attacks, it's threatening pretty much a lethal attack. So um, they also use a card called Fling, which allows you to sacrifice a target creature and deal damage equal to its power to target a creature or player. So they, they can almost just throw this giant creature at you a lot of the time for a lethal uh you know, for lethal damage. So there's always the threat of that. And then they have a card called Galvanic Blast, which basically in their deck is uh, an instant that deals four damage to target creature or player. It almost always will just do that. For (laughs) just one red mana, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's extremely efficient for them. And I have to say, um, in my experience, almost every game one I lose against them, it's because they, they're able to get me down low enough to finish me with, like, Galvanic Blasts or two of them or something like that. So uh, that can be a little bit tough. Yeah, and, and, and they can have very explosive starts. If they get the right draw, right. they can just fill the board. For sure. Uh, one of the things we have on our side is what we mentioned earlier in the strength and weaknesses portion is that um, we're faster out of the gates in terms of our mana development because we don't need to get all the colors that they need. So sometimes that can help us a lot. Um, but as you said, sometimes their draws are just so good that they're throwing out four fours on turn, uh, usually like turn three or something, and they might have multiples of that. Yeah. yeah. So th- it's a deck that can be very clunky or very fast, very aggressive. Uh, and I guess it's, it's a the up to them to get lucky or mulligan right. Um, so how about uh, after sideboarding? What, what tools do you have to, to stop them? White has a lot in its color pie that can deal with uh, artifact-based decks. Uh, it has a lot of uh, ways to destroy or exile artifacts. The, the Pretty much the most popular ones that are used nowadays is a card called Dust to Dust, which is a sorcery that can exile two target artifacts. So it's basically a a very powerful two-for-one against them. And then uh, we also play another two-for-one in the form of Core Sanctifiers, which is a 2-3 creature that if you pay its kicker cost, will destroy target artifact or enchantment when it enters the battlefield. So we have ways to remove some of their key um, artifacts or artifact creatures. And uh, 
Yeah. So that's what we got. <laughs> Before you go on, here's a here's yeah. an important question. And you were you were making this question in one of your uh, videos uh, in YouTube, mm-hmm. and that is, um, sh- should you be attacking their lands? I I personally get the feeling that in the first few turns, if if you've got your dust to dust on turn three, uh, you destroy two of their lands because that that can usually be devastating for them. How do you feel about that? I, I definitely think it'll depend on on what the game status like, um, and a lot of the times you kind of have to judge based on what they did in their first couple turns. You know, if they didn't make any real plays because they're still trying to develop their mana base, or in in the case of one of my games where my opponent actually missed a land drop and didn't have access to many colors at all, you can really pounce on those type of uh, opportunities. And it, it can be very powerful. Uh, I wouldn't make it a hard and fast rule to always do that, but uh, I, I guess I'd have to play the matchup a bit more to know for sure. I will say that when I watch Andre S play, he uses Dust to Dust a lot of the time on their artifact lands. So that, that could be a very uh, powerful play to make um, in games two and three. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, the blue and the red lands are probably the best targets generally. Yeah, if you can cut them off of red, you're you're gonna be in good shape because that takes away their galvanic blast, their, their atog, their yeah. atog, and their they bring in a card a lot of the time called Clark Clan Shaman, which oh, yeah. can be forward by sacrificing an artifact to deal one damage to all non-flying creatures. You know, the only thing that I guess is a little problematic with attacking their lands is that they play a lot of artifacts that fix their colors for them. So that's one of the things that I'm always a little worrisome about is that even if I blow up these lands, um, they can easily start using their their color fixing to, to kind of make up for that. So that's one thing to keep in mind, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask something else. You, you were going to, uh, were you going to mention some other sideboard cards? Uh, yeah, I definitely can. Uh, before I do that, I also want to mention that one of their advantages is that they just have a stream of uh, card draw effects in the form of Thoughtcast, which is uh, basically a sorcery that draws two cards, and it it's usually costs one blue for them because uh, the mechanic affinity makes their spells cheaper. So a lot of times that spell will only cost one blue, and then they have the several different artifacts that draw them cards. So that is really powerful for them to be able to be up on cards against us when we're playing sort of an attrition-type game. Uh, so as far as other cards we can bring in, I like to bring in Crimson Acolyte, which we mentioned before. It's the protection from red creature because most of the affinity lists are playing only red removal. And then it also gives us a creature that can block Atog for the entire game. Hmm. So we never have, we can never have to fear getting killed by it, <laughs> which I think is pretty important. And then, um, I think you could make an argument for bringing in Prismatic Strands just to protect you from Fling or Galvanic Blast, but it's probably, uh, too narrow. I, against you know a lot of their artifact creatures, right? It's not going to do anything. Yeah. So I, I actually have that main deck in my in my deck. I think Adri as well. Uh, a couple right, of those. Yeah, it's two main decks because yeah, they're very useful against uh, a lot of the decks, like Infect Storm, Goblins, yeah. uh, even Affinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else about this deck? Uh, as far as Affinity, I. I don't think there's anything else 
I really bring in against them. But uh, there are other options for um, white weenie sideboarding. There's cards like Disenchant and Divine Offering, which are both instant speed removal spells. They're, they differ slightly, but um, those are cards to consider as well. Uh, I guess I could just say that um, some of their important cards you want to look out for are basically their 4-4s, which are the Carapace Forger, which is a green creature that's a 4-4. And Mirror Enforcer, which is an artifact creature that's a 4-4. Those can be very difficult. And I've seen Andre S. a lot of the times combo block those guys, which means that you use like two or three of your guys in order to block their big guy. And sometimes you'll lose like one or two creatures off of that. But uh, it seems like for him it's really imperative to get those creatures off of the board. And I I agree. Um, for me, I think it, it's a matter of being able to stall out their ground game because a lot of their creatures don't fly. And then uh, we use our flying creatures to attack, uh, you know, because they can't block them. And, and having equipment and stuff really helps. And it's it's like most of the creature matchups. It's about finding that balance of knowing when you can make attacks and knowing when you can't. So it's figuring out who's the beat down and when. For sure. Okay. All right. So uh, one more uh, one more matchup uh, before the mirror. Uh, Mono Black Control. Now, I um, I actually think that against this deck, once you bring in a Circle of Protection or a Rune of Protection, it's yeah. it's almost game over for them. Right. Uh, how do you feel this matchup goes? I used to have a lot more trouble with this matchup than I do now, and I'm not sure if it's because it, it its popularity kind of rises and falls because um, mono black is deceptively um, diverse in how people choose to build it. It used to primarily be the version that would run cards like corrupt and tendrils of corruption. Um, but actually there's a, a player uh, on the channel fireball website who did a series of videos and he built his own sort of mono black version of the deck. And that shows up a lot too. Okay. So there's there's almost like multiple versions of this deck, but they pretty much do the same thing, which is play a lot of discard, which is stuff that makes you uh, bend your cards, and a lot of creature removal. Yeah. Um, so I think that I actually feel like the tendrils corrupt uh, effects are the the best thing they have against us because that gains them life and it creates these huge uh, swings in the life totals. And it, it kind of switches the uh, the roles of each player. And they also have some pretty valuable cards like Echoing Decay, which can take out an entire board of Squadron Hawks, for instance. Yeah. And they they also have, like, Guess Verdict, which is important for them because it's the only way to kill uh, something like Guardian of the Guild Pact yeah. because all their other stuff targets, and it's just, uh, you know, Guardian has protection from all of that. So uh, I definitely feel like our cards... A lot of our cards are more troublesome for them uh, rather than the other way around. And as you mentioned, if you're playing Rune of Protection Black, they have very, very few ways to to beat that. So uh, it's definitely sort of a, a huge trump card in the matchup. Yeah, I've I've, I've actually been playing uh, Mono Black Control uh, recently, uh, just because I feel it's uh, it's got a good matchup against most decks. And uh, I was trying out a card, uh, uh, I forget its name, but it basically, uh, it makes a player lose two life, and it it gains you two life, and it's got flashback. 
And because mm. it's life loss, uh, the, the circle of protection or the rune of protection oh, okay. doesn't, doesn't protect you against that. So yeah. as long as they can take control of the game by, by killing all your creatures with, with, you know, their, their, their um, all their, their kill spells and making you discard mm. your hand. Uh, so you, you quickly run out of gas. Uh, even if you have the rune, uh, they can just slowly, you know, peck at you and, and gain life in the process. So I, I used to think that it was a really good matchup and then recently for, for White Weenie. And recently uh-huh. I feel it's, it's a little bit more even. They, all, they can also bring in, uh, there are some versions that have Crypt Rats, which are pretty strong yeah. against, uh, mm-hmm. against White Weenie. But I've seen fewer and fewer Crypt Rats recently. Yeah, you know, uh, I just had an, a sort of an epiphany while, as you were talking about the matchup. For me, that on the white weenie side of things, this this bears a lot of similarities, I think, to the fairies matchup. Um, and, and basically, instead of counter spells, the mono black has more discard and more efficient uh, removal yeah. than fairies deck. But otherwise. Uh, we're still dealing with an opponent that's playing mostly one ones and two twos. So, uh, you know, our, our creatures that outclass that can be very effective. Uh, and a lot of our powerful threats are, are the things we want to resolve. And, and so instead of trying to dodge counter spells, you have to think about playing in a way that makes sure that they can't force you to discard your important, you know, creatures or removal or what have you. So it's just something that popped into my head. It almost has that same kind of dynamic going on, but just with a, with a difference of what the color pies actually bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, in this matchup, I, I think um, the, the squadron hawks are very important uh, mm-hmm. to get you, you know, in your, your starting hand because they give you a lot of cards, and then their discard becomes a little bit uh, nullified. And yeah. they also give you a bunch of creatures to put so that once you get your garden of the guild pact, they can't edict it because, you know, mm-hmm. you're sacrificing other other creatures. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one more matchup, and that would be the mirror. So how? what kind of strategies do you use uh, to, to beat yourself, basically, <laughs> to beat <laughs> a, a, an opposing mirror? Like, how do you gain advantage when you're facing the same deck? So... Um... Well, with the mirror match, it's very grindy, which means that there's going to be a lot of back and forth, a lot of creatures trading, and a lot of jockeying for superior position. And I think the mirror match, over above all the other matches, has the most states board states where everything is completely stalled and no one has a profitable attack. Um, so I think the way to gain advantages are just all really small things that you can do. Uh, for instance, Icacian Javelineers is actually pretty good in the mirror match because it, it can give you that one extra way of taking out their last Squadron Hawk, let's say. Because, you know, a lot of times both of you guys will resolve Squadron Hawk and you'll be having these Hawk fights in the <laughs> air and stuff. So if you can kind of get a leg up on your flyers over their number of flyers with something like Javelineers, Pretty important. Javelineers also takes out a Suture Priest, which is a pretty big deal because Suture Priest is another card that gains you incremental advantage in this matchup every turn because every, each player is certainly playing creatures, right? So yeah. it, it's just slowly taking the life total 
more in your favor or in your opponent's favor if they're the one that has it on board. Um, so those cards all play a pretty integral role. Of course, Skyfisher is really important as well because it outclasses the Squadron Hawks. And the 2-3 body is just its just such a roadblock yeah. <laughs> at the time. I, I, uh, I often find that whoever gets the more bone splitters will win because mm-hmm. their creatures are just better. <laughs> that, well, that's a definitely a really good point. Um, and I think that's why Core Sanctifiers becomes a pretty big deal, um, if not game one, certainly in, in the following games as well, because, you know, white does play a lot of artifacts and enchantments, yeah. so th- you want to blow up <laughs> those because they're all relevant in some way or another. W- would you bring in uh, Dust to Dust? Personally, um I think I think I would in some instances. I wouldn't say that I that I'd bring it in all the time. Uh, I'm fairly certain I've seen Andreas or some other top players bring it in. Um, I think that one of the downsides is that it could be a card that's in your hand for a really long time and you, you're not able to play it because it doesn't have that sort of um, that sort of versatility of being able to hit an enchantment, and it also can't be cast unless they have two artifacts. Yeah. But the thing is that if they have two artifacts, they're going to be good, right? It's pretty much going to be Razor Golem or Bone Splitter or a combination of the two. So in those instances, if you just think about it, it seems like that would be a really huge uh, play to make, a huge two-for-one to be able to take out one of their best creatures and their equipment that makes all their other creatures uh, match up against yours. So I think the trade-off of it being a a risky uh, sideboard choice versus how much it could actually gain, gain you in in the course of a game is going to be worth it a lot of the time. But uh, then you can get into situations where maybe they they're considering that. So they actually take out a lot of, Artifacts. I don't know if they, if uh, other white weenie players would actually do that, but it, it is a possibility. So it's definitely something to think about. I, I think it could be very effective, though. Yeah, I, I think they're bringing more, like uh, Serrated Arrows or something like that. Serrated Arrows is a pretty good card against white weenie, right? So it, 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 yeah. one, it gives one minus one minus one counter to a creature, and it could do that three times, and that just destroys a lot of the creatures in in your deck, including Garden of the Guild Pact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you can even use it uh, additional times if you're able to bounce it back to your hand with Core Skyfisher. Yeah. So that even a play like that can be totally game-changing. But as you mentioned, it, it does turn on some of their artifact kills. So, uh, you know, Core Sanctifiers is actually a pretty big tempo swing in a lot of those mirror matches because they get a 2-3 body on the ground, so it's going to stop all your one-drop creatures and stuff. And it it takes out something pretty important, like a Serrated Arrows or a Journey to Nowhere. So that's another card where you're risking something by bringing it in, but you can also get a big benefit as well by having that. And not all White Weenie decks play that card. So sometimes it could be sort of a trump in that matchup, I think. Okay. All right. Um, well, and let's. Uh, I think we've we've uh, we've gone through all the major matchups. Um, so uh, before we go on to the uh, to the last section, um, I just wanted to ask you one more question about White Weenie. Um, I noticed you you played uh, Landfall Boros deck. 
uh, in your YouTube videos, and I thought it was a pretty strong deck. It uses many similar cards to White Weenie, but it has uh, a reach uh, from red and, and some, some very aggressive creatures uh, that use the landfall. So, but yet, uh, Boros, uh, landfall Boros isn't really a very popular deck. Like I, I, I've only seen yours actually, uh, you know, win something in the dailies. So why do you think mm -hmm. this is? I actually think it's a mix of things, and uh, one of them I think could be considered the hive mentality, or just the, the mentality that um, that this format is already completely solved and figured out, and people are are really quick to uh, just copy the decks that are posted online and stuff like that. So it could be the case that Boros is being overlooked because it just doesn't already have that popularity or it doesn't have a lot of people um, piloting it to success. So it doesn't have the exposure and people just assume that it's not a contending deck. I think that's one possibility. The other thing is um, I, I think that Boros actually certainly has some weaknesses. And uh, if we just want to compare it to White Weenie, for instance, that might be good in giving it a, a bit of reference. Yep. So uh, the, the mana base for Boros is interesting because it's it's playing white and red, and it's using fetch lands, you know, in the form of Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds, which basically you sacrifice that card and you get a basic land to come into play tapped. Um, it's using eight of those to uh, supplement its colors and its landfall creatures. So you get a lot of these instances where your opening hand will be really... Um, sort of weakened or, or made clunkier because of the mana base. What, either you'll have uh, spells of one color and lands of another, or you'll just have too many fetches and not enough basics in your opening hand. So your, your starts can be a lot slower than you might think, even though you're playing an aggressive deck. So, so that's one of the things it has going against it. Uh, the second thing is possibly the most important, and this is something I actually learned from reading a, a, an article on Channel Fireball by uh, PV, who is one of their best uh, players, one of the best players in the world. And he actually took Boros to a Grand Prix for a standard tournament a while back. And so he got a lot of insight into the deck just playing that. Now, now obviously, a standard Boros deck is going to be different than one in Popper, but some of the, the same tenets of the deck, I think, remain. And, and the, the revelation he had about Boros is that it's a very strange concept for a deck because it's an aggressive deck that wants to be drawing a lot of lands. And that actually comes into play because the other aggressive decks that you, you play in a given format can usually operate off of, say, three, uh, three or four lands. And they don't really need to hit very many other ones because all of their spells are so cheap and they can, they can kind of function at that level. Boros, on the other hand, needs to hit landfall in order to make its uh, its card step links, which is a zero one that gets pumped up and big. It gets, becomes bigger when you play lands and play to Geopete as well, which is just a one one that that does the same thing. Uh, it needs those land drops to 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 stay uh, aggressive, and so it optimally. PV says that it's a deck that wants to be hitting about uh, between four and seven lands every game. And there's really not a lot that an aggro deck can do with, you know, seven mana. <laughs> uh, you have to get creative to start thinking about 
how are you going to be playing this deck with that needs to hit lands but doesn't really have so much to do with it at the end of the day once you've once you've played all those lands out so so that's one of the issues um with boros and i think one of the the other ones is that you know these creatures are very scary when your deck's working with the landfall steplings is just one of my favorite cards and really powerful but you know a lot of the time he's a zero one <laughs> which dies to everything i mean yeah <laughs> uh you know, when you look at stuff like Cloud Post, too, um, you know, their removal is so strong against Steplings because they can use things like Seismic Shudder or Serrated Arrows. And, you know, Steplings isn't protected from those cards and if unless you have a fetch. And with Serrated Arrows, it's still not protected because that counter just stays on the creature. So um, I think there's sort of a double-edged sword to playing Boros because when it, it's working, it is super strong. I actually really like uh, a lot of its matchups, but then uh, you, you sort of have to build this deck and get it and, and build it in a certain way where uh, it's almost counterintuitive to how an aggro deck works because you're playing so many lands and you're playing these lands that sometimes make you slower depending on what your draws are like. So I, I think that's kind of... Uh, th- those sort of strikes against the deck are what lead to it not being very popular at all at this point. Though I do think it's a, a really cool deck and, and a very good one. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah. With the inconsistencies and then the, the, the mana flood at the end and all that. Um, okay, so that brings us to the end of, uh, of the podcast uh, of this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we hope to receive uh, some feedback. Uh, uh, Diane Collector, do you want to uh, tell the listeners how they can reach you and what other places they can see uh, some of your videos and work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually have a YouTube account where I post several Popper videos. I do a lot of deck techs. Uh, I take decks into uh, various test sessions with friends of mine online, and I also take a lot of these decks into daily events. And I and I record all of the games from these events on video, and I'm, you get to kind of hear my commentary as the games are going on. And uh, you can see those videos at YouTube.com/slash/DimeCollectorSC. So uh, the word dime, D-I-M-E, collector. SC, uh, and you can just search it on YouTube and probably find a lot of it as well. And I actually just started writing for puremtgo.com. So if you go there and look up uh, my handle, which is Dime Collector, it's all one word, uh, you can see my first article, which is sort of a breakdown of the White Weenie and Blue Red Cloud Post matchup. So uh, that's pretty much where you can find me, and I hope you guys check that out. And please give us some feedback on this episode and let us know what you want to see in uh, future episodes as well. Uh, yeah, and, and let, me, let me just say that uh, those, uh, those YouTube videos, they're awesome. They're really exciting, uh, especially the daily events. Uh, I, was, I was, you know, uh, biting my nails in the, that, last, uh, that last round uh, against, I think it was an Affinity, an Affinity deck you were playing there. Uh, with yeah, white, so with the new weird. the future of white weed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, I definitely recommend those. And um, uh, we're going to have all uh, references uh, to uh, to uh, deck lists from the dailies in the show notes. We'll list out uh, links to various forum discussions and articles about white weenie and other references where you can read about 
how to play the classic Popper White Weenie deck. For more Popper information, I also recommend listening to the Popper to the People podcast, which you can also find at mtgcast.com. If you have any feedback, please contact us at popperscage at gmail.com. That's popperscage, one word. You can also find us on MTGO. I go by the username Gabo Cheeto, and Dime Collector goes by the name Bamboo Rush. Uh, anything else from you, Dime? No, I just want to encourage everyone to try out the Popper format. I am a big fan of it. And uh, regardless of what decks we, we talk about on this cast, I think it's really important that people uh, make sure that they choose a deck to play that really fits their play style and, and what they want to play. Um, so White Weenie is the right choice if it's the right choice for you as a player, I think, at the end of the day is is what it's all about. So just keep that in mind, uh, everybody, as you're looking at this format and, and what you can do with it. And be sure to have fun, of course. All right. So uh, so until uh, until next time, um, we'll, we'll be uh, – next episode, we'll hopefully be discussing uh, another deck with other matchups and other ways to get better at, at this particular format. So until next time, uh, goodbye, everyone. All right, guys. We'll see you later. 